0: Scripture reading is from John chapter 8 verses 1 through 11. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes or beginning on page 765 in our worship Bible. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. They went each to his own house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in their midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, "'Let him who is without sin among you "'be the first to throw a stone at her.' "'And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. "'But when they heard it, they went away, one by one, "'beginning with the older ones. "'And Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. "'Jesus stood up and said to her, "'Woman, where are they?' has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. This is the word of God.
1: Thank you, Janice. Appreciate that. Now, among the many things that have been in the news this week, one has been the recent parole of O.J. Simpson. Have you heard about that? Yeah you know that That story reminds us that as a culture we can never get enough of a celebrity crime story right? It's more than 20 years ago that 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 situation happened no doubt you remember that famous courtroom drama as it unfolded on national television back in 1995 or so a famous football star the the gruesome murder of his beautiful ex-wife and her friend the intensive 24 hour news coverage of of a trial which made minor Celebrities out of the attorneys and the judge, <laughs> a creeping white bronco, a glove which would not fit, and a controversial verdict, all of these indelibly printed in our national and social. Consciousness, am I right? All those pictures coming into your mind, yeah. But this is not just one, the only famous trial story. There are many trial stories throughout history who have caught the public imagination, whether it's the Simpson trial of 1995, or the Manson trial of 1970, or the Lindbergh or Hauptmann trial of 1935, or the dozens of other trials which I have in my notes but I won't remind you of that have gone all the way back to the trial of Socrates in 340 BC we have, have been fascinated with trials and guilt and punishment and and these the drama of of what to do about that now today as we continue our quick tour of the new testament we're going to pause to take a look at another famous trial. Uh, it took place in Jesus' day. It wasn't a formal trial with a courtroom and all, but it had all the earmore, earmarks of a formal trial. Janice just read it for you. It had a defendant, a prosecution, a judge, and a jury, and a surprising verdict all at the end of it. And it had all the character, characteristics which would stir the public imagination even for us some 2,000 years. It included sex and violence, Guilt and innocence, life and death, and the verdict which we talk about still today. And in fact, it might surprise you to know that in truth, this little story which Janice read for you out of the Gospel of John, which we've been studying these past few weeks, and we will continue our as we continue our way throughout the rest of the, the rest of the New Testament, that in truth, this is not just one trial. There's more than one trial taking place in this story. There were, fa- in fact, three trials. And so, as we kind of make our way through this story, let's take a look at the three trials on that day there uh, in, uh, in, in Judea, okay? Um, as we f- reflect on this story, we'll see these trials unfold, and each of these trials can help us to learn something about, uh, about ourselves. Let's call the first one by this name, Sinners on Trial. Sinners on trial. This is the trial of the sinful woman, the guilty woman. She's the one who was brought into public view in a situation she never would have wanted to have been. It's the most obvious trial in this story: a woman caught in bed with another man. Now imagine her situation that day. Jesus, as it says, and I'll just to remind you, uh, early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. In those days, it was the people who stood and the teacher who sat. So should we try that? I'll sit and you guys stand. That's what they did back then. He would sit down to teach them. And as John tells us, they're in the temple area, the holiest place. The place where God meets his people. The place that God had set up so he could be in the presence of his people even though they were uh, not holy, not able to be in his presence. They had the opportunity to fellowship with him there in that place so long as they continued to make the sacrifices that they were called to by by the covenant that God had establish them so this woman is finds herself uh, suddenly jesus is teaching among them when suddenly here comes this group of religious leaders dressed imagine them now in their royal religious guard the pharisees a lot of them they've got their phylacteries they've got all their stuff their, their accoutrements and they come in with this i'm imagining it and please don't imagine it too much but let's just say a partially clothed woman all right who's just put on what she could because they're careful to say this woman was caught in the act of adultery. They're careful. In fact, the original land, the original language is very specific in the act, in the very act. In other words, a couple of things. One is you wonder whether there's a period purient kind of a, a thought about this as uh, as they're saying it, but also because they're basically saying there is no doubt about this woman's guilt okay so she's brought in before this crowd dragged into this public setting it's just as if as if we were to say all of a sudden someone comes in and does the same thing to us we'd all be like oh my goodness what is going on this is what's going on for this woman and in this story she's utterly ignored never spoken to Early on in this story, she's treated like a non-entity. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. Moses says she should be condemned, but what do you say? See, she's just standing there, you know, doing her best to uh, be as invisible as possible, but she can't, of course. She's standing there, and she's being talked about, but not talked to. And Jesus then responds, well, whatever he was teaching, he was sitting down, so he, d- he just was leaning over. And often when teachers would teach, they would use the ground like a chalkboard. That was commonly done. Uh, in fact, we have stories about that in terms of early Euclidean geometry of them drawing. I mean, how would you? You didn't carry around paper and pencils or iPads. You, you drew on the ground. So this was not an unusual thing. And he seems to ignore her. She's totally ignored until the end of this story. This woman was treated very unfair She was treated wrongly. In fact, we can't help but wonder, where is her accomplice in this crime? He's just as guilty as she. Why is he not there? The very fact of his absence can't help but make us think that perhaps this was something of a set-up situation, where the man goes free, but the woman, who perhaps was known to have this behavior or whatever, does not. And it begins to make you wonder whether the people bringing her in have their own set of guilt, not the same, but a similar kind of guilt. But in any case, whatever may have been the situation, there still was this truth, this specific truth. She was guilty. She had done something she should not have done. Her religious system of that day condemned her. In fact, she had committed a crime which, according to her religious system, was punishable by death. Now, it was rarely, if ever, actually uh, put into uh, practice that way, but it was there in the system. It was there as, as a potential punishment. Usually some other kind of mercy was found, but you see the people bringing her in are calling for capital punishment for this woman. Moses says she should be condemned. What do you say? Now, I believe her situation was grossly unfair. That she was grossly unfair. But that does not change the fact that she was guilty. She had done what she should not have done. And in that respect, her situation was not unlike our own. Nor I'm hoping that you have not been caught. Well, let's hoping it's not exactly the same for you. But all of us have sins in our lives that we know are there. We may feel that we're extending these circumstances, but we are guilty too. We may, we may balk at her crime as if that's a really bad one. Perhaps we feel that, uh, uh, that, you know, that she shouldn't have been condemned for what she did. That's beside the point. The point is that she had violated her own code of conduct, and so have you and I. We have violated our own codes of conduct. We are guilty. We are guilty against the standards of Holy Scripture, certainly. Uh, but we are certainly guilty as well against our own personal standards. How many of us will say... I always live according to my best self. I hope none of you would say that because you'd be a liar if you did, right? All of us have standards that we think, that's why it's so crazy when we speak about the future. Well, I've been a pretty good person and etc. You haven't even met your own standards for life, have you? Much less God's. So we're guilty. We are not guilty of the same thing perhaps but if we're honest we admit we stand condemned by our own ideals. We want to be loving instead we are selfish. We want to be caring of the people who are around us and instead we take advantage of the people around us. We want to be honest but instead we cut corners we cheat just just a little you know. We want to tell the truth but oh there's a special circumstance here where I think it'd be okay for me not Two, you know, we all of us know that we find ourselves living beneath the standards that we know we ought to achieve, not just the standards that God or society or our family set for us, even our own standards. We're guilty against our own codes of conduct, much less the larger standards, and we have no one to blame but ourselves. Whether or not our sin is publicly exposed like her was, the fact remains we are guilty and we have no one to blame, as I said, but ourselves. We stand before a holy God just as she stood before a holy Jesus with nothing but our rags and our shame to cover us. We need to see that that's part of this story. We need to see that that's the truth about where our lives really are. And part of coming to terms with uh, with what needs to be done about our situation has to do with coming to terms with what is the truth about our situation. Suppose you show up with a doctor's diagnosis that you don't like. (laughs) And so you say, okay, I'll just take two aspirin. I'm sure I'll be fine say, wait a minute, don't you understand the gravity of your health situation? Don't you understand the gravity of what you're doing? Many times that is our dilemma with regards to God. We don't understand the gravity of our heart sickness before God. Bible says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I mean, there's a, and if you're honest, you can see that, or maybe I'm the only one who sees it in my own heart. Despite my best intentions, I stand guilty before God. We need to see that we are utterly guilty and deserving of whatever sentence God would pass against us. Yeah, but that's where this story becomes so beautiful. We see her there. She's standing in front of the crowd. Jesus is listening to their uh, acts of, of condemnation. But yet, what is it that really happens in this story? This story becomes very beautiful because how does it end? The guilty person is not condemned. She's set free. We see it in this text at the end of it where she says to him, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. This is the first time the woman is spoken to directly. Before that, she's just standing there, listening to people talk about her, gawk at her discuss her future. And now, after the story has unfolded, Jesus now looks at her. Her accusers have backed away. The crowd, no doubt, is still around wondering how this story is going to end. And Jesus looks directly at her and says to her, woman, has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she says. Then neither do I. Go. And from now on, Sin no more. Now, if I did my job, you felt a little guilty a minute or two ago. So let me look at you in the face and say, there is forgiveness for you. There is no condemnation for you. And for me, Jesus sets us free from our guilt, just like he set that woman free. Despite her shame, despite her sin, despite her rags, the Son of God looked directly in her eyes and says, I do not condemn you Either. That's a beautiful, beautiful story. In fact, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, there is, and because you said, well, that's her, she got off free. But here's what the Bible says about you There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. When you're feeling condemned for your sin, if you've placed yourself under the care of Jesus and come with your sin to Jesus and trusted in him as your Savior, you can hear his words, I do not condemn you. Some of you today are still feeling condemned about sins Jesus forgave a long time ago. God does not condemn you. You need to come to him, admit your guilt, receive his forgiveness, trust in him. But as you do that, the forgiveness he purchased on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That forgiveness was then made available to everyone who would receive it. In Christ, we are forgiven for our sins. Religious types might point their finger. Bystanders might gawk at you, but Jesus forgives you. Remember, the forgiveness came to this woman before her behavior changed. She hadn't cleaned up her act. She hadn't proved herself worthy of forgiveness. It was given to her right there on the spot in the middle of her shame while others were gawking and others were uh, accusing and others were walking away. I do not condemn you. Go and don't sin. And her life was utterly changed. But remember, forgiveness came before the life was cleaned up. No, we must let, we do not clean up our acts in order to earn God's forgiveness. So important to see that. You don't earn God's forgiveness. Um, Jesus earned God's forgiveness when he died on the cross. You don't earn it. Jesus earned it. And we, we don't earn it, but we receive it by faith. We don't clean up our act to get God's forgiveness. We must let go of our pride and our excuses and with humility and eternal gratefulness receive Jesus' forgiveness. Yes, I do not condemn you, Jesus said. I don't know if you like... Musicals and so, but uh, I do like anybody. You can't help it. There's like we love musicals. But one of the books that I read, which has turned into a very famous musical, was written by Victor Hugo called Les Misérables. Ever heard of that story? You've heard of the story. It was actually a novel written about 1862, one of the great 19th century novels. I enjoyed reading it num- a number of years ago. One of the things I did while I was cleaning pools <laughs> is I listened to books, and I listened to that one while I was uh, cleaning pools years ago. And, uh, and then, of course, there was a musical that you, many of you have seen either on, on the stage or perhaps on television, the new 2012 version. But if you remember, at its very root, that story is a story about forgiveness. Remember, there is a character early on in the story, Jean Valjean. He's poverty-stricken. He had stolen bread. He was imprisoned for 19 years. He came out uh, uh, of prison, and uh, uh, and he could not find anyone that would take him in. He was, uh, and so ultimately, he uh, uh, he had been uh, um, uh, taken in by a bishop who took him into his house. And even though the bishop was the only one who had given to him you know, uh, a place to stay, he stole his silver during the middle of the night when he walked out of that place. And then later he was captured that same day. This is how Le Miserables begins both the book uh, and the story, basically. And, uh, uh, and so sure enough, he is caught, and he's brought back to the bishop's place with the silver that he had stolen, and the, uh, the, uh, the officers are saying, is this your silver? Yes, it is. The bishop right away realizes, although it, I, I, actually, if I recall from the movie, they already knew it had been stolen, you know. And he comes back in, and do you remember what the bishop does? Do any of you remember that? He says, Mr. Valjean, you didn't take these candlesticks. I gave all of them to you. Why didn't you take these candlesticks? They're the most valuable portion of this. He pretended as if he had intended to give him that silver and, in fact, added to it. And the man who would otherwise have spent the rest of his life in jail for having stolen those, that silver now was a free man. He had been utterly changed even in the midst of his crime. That's what Jesus has done for you. And when Hugo tells that story, he's, of course, mimicking the story of Jesus, right? And Valjean, that day, his life was utterly transformed. And he determined that for the rest of his days, he would live like a new man, live worthy of the grace which had been given to him. That's what I believe happened to this girl that day. She had been forgiven when she should have been condemned. And now she went and did what Jesus said. Because the bishop had said to Jean Valjean, you've been given a a new lease on life, you've been given a new name, now use it well. And of course, Jean Valjean, through the rest of his life, sought to, through great personal difficulty, sought to live worthy of the forgiveness which had been given to him. Of course, there was another key person in that story, Inspector Javert, who lived by a different code. Who later on, had been given the gift of forgiveness too, by none other than Jean Valjean himself. And it broke through everything he'd built his life on, and he couldn't take it, and he wouldn't accept it. And you know what he did? He took his own life. Yes. See, we've been offered the gift of forgiveness, and we need to embrace it and be changed as a result. To the sinner on trial, Jesus offers to forgiveness to those who don't deserve it. But as I said, there are three trials, and I'm going to hurry to get you through all three trials. Quit laughing at me, Pat. (laughs) Uh, I got a little involved in my story there, didn't I? But that's what happens. Gee, uh, the second one, there's another trial going on here, and let's call it by this name, religion on trial, or moralism on trial. What's really going on in this story? Is this really about that woman and her sin, or is it about something else? Are the people who brought her in that day really interested in justice? No, it says right in the text they're trying to trap Jesus. They're using this sinful behavior, which they very likely set up, as a means by which they can trap Jesus. What was the trap? They said Moses said she should be condemned, but what do you say? What are they trying to do? What is the trap? Well, if Jesus condemns the woman and follows the law of Moses, the crowds disperse. They, he just becomes like all the rest of them. They're not going to follow him anymore. He's just going to say, kill her, take her, you know, <laughs> which in fact he kind of did in a, in a roundabout way, right? Right. But if he does condemn the woman, he loses his popularity with the people. On the other hand, if he excuses the woman, he'd be violating the law of Moses. And they would have reason to condemn him. Did they care about this woman? Not one iota. They did not care one bit about that woman. In fact, as I have said, it was likely that they set her up. He, was, The man who should have been there with her was not. He was as guilty as her. Chances are he was a setup for her. And this gives you to us. In picture form, the problem of moralism and, uh, and, and self-made religion think with me for a moment. These, this moral way of thinking, moralism, thinking that somehow I can earn my way to God by my good deeds, by my religious behavior, that's what I'm talking about. This, 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 uh, this uh, Let's call it the problem of religion. It deludes us into thinking that by our own efforts, we can gain a right standing with God. This is the sinister reality of moralism and it's not the gospel of Jesus. Religion teaches us that our good behavior puts us into a right relationship with God. But the gospel of Jesus teaches us that a a right relationship with God is a gift of grace, not a reward for human merit. The woman was guilty, to be sure. But these men's religious way of thinking had caused them to become religious hypocrites. She may have been an adulterer, and she was, but they were hypocrites. She at least knew she needed mercy. But in Jesus for, until Jesus forced them to see it, they had not seen their own sin. That's the brilliance of Jesus' response. He's writing in the ground, and he says these words: "Let him." He says it to the men who had just come. "Let him who was without, who let him who is without sin cast the first stone." <laughs> it's a brilliant response. Because does he set aside the Mosaic law? No. But he says, those of you who have lived perfect lives and have the right to, compl- to criticize another person, you throw the first stone. What is he doing? He's showing the hypocrisy of the accusers, especially if they know that they were complicit in her own crime. He shows the hypocrisy of the accusers, but also the limitations of the law. If we use the law as our standard, we're all guilty, for none of us keeps it perfectly. We make this mistake all the time. We often think, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not as bad as that guy. Now, I want want you to try that the next time you get picked up for speeding. And you say, but officer, I never killed anybody. Or or have you ever tried to say, officer, did you see the other guys are going faster than me? You might have tried that. Does it work? Doesn't for me. Not that I've ever tried it. (laughs) Yeah. You see, we're all personally responsible for our guilt, and so the law ends up becoming our accuser, and Jesus is showing the limitations of the law. Yes, Jesus is showing that what we need is not just a better, uh, a better more enlightened law, but we need forgiveness. We need something to break through our own shame because every one of us is guilty you see, ultimately, religion can only condemn. It cannot forgive. And what we need is forgiveness. And many of us are like the guys in this story. If we're not careful, our good behavior and our high standards can blind us to the needs that we have for grace. Just as this woman was guilty and deserved to be punished, so too are we, even if we've not committed their sin. We need it just as much as the sinner in the bedroom, the drunk on the street, the murderer on the death row, the celebrity on the silver Screen. The guy in the fancy car, the politician in Washington D.C. We need forgiveness too. It's fashionable to point your finger everywhere else. It's honest to let that finger point back at ourselves, and that's what Jesus is wanting them to do. Let him who is without the first, without sin, cast the first stone. He said with this statement, he he, he tears down the house of moralistic. Uh, Getting to heaven the old-fashioned way by earning it, right? He tears that system down to realize that none of us has the perfect character that can live in the presence of God. None of us does. See, moralistic efforts and religion is a subtle. No, I'm not telling you to be a bad person. But you understand, right? I'm seeing. I'm hoping to see the sinister side of thinking that somehow I can earn my way to God. Religion is a subtle and sinister force in our lives. It sucks the life of us. Either we fulfill its demands, become uh, spiteful towards all of those bad guys out there who, can't get, who don't get, get it right, or we become crushed under its weight and we become despairing, despondent. Either way, we have to let go of our, pr- our pride. We need to realize that just like that woman, we need forgiveness too. We need a way out. We need a way out. We need to do what the smart ones among them did, drop their stones. Some of us are carrying around stones. It justifies us, yes. But many of us, if we're not careful of like that second person in uh, Les Miserables in Pector Javert, when Valjean offered him grace instead of judgment, remember, he was supposed to have shot him. He was supposed to have killed him, Valjean, had every right to do it. And he decided he would not continue that circle of violence. And, he, and Valjean was given forgiveness. When Valjean, excuse me, Javert was given for guilt, uh, forgiveness instead of guilt. When Valjean offered him grace instead of judgment, he couldn't handle it. His whole worldview was based upon the fact that guilty people get what they deserve. And here he was getting set free, and he didn't deserve that. His whole worldview was shattered, and he couldn't handle it. Many of us, if we're not careful, have built our identity on making ourselves acceptable to God by our behavior. We need to drop our stones. We need to realize that we, too, need the word of forgiveness. We need to find a way through, and thankfully, Jesus provides a way through, because there's a third trial in this story. It's not just the woman on trial. It's not just the religious people on this trial. Who's really being on trial this, in this story? Jesus on trial. Jesus is being on trial. They want to come and test him. We might be surprised, but but it's not just the woman. Yes, she was on trial. She was guilty, but she was forgiven and set free. Later, it's the religionists who are on trial. They recognize their hypocrisy and that they're unfit to judge, and one at a time it says they back away. But the major trial here is not of the guilty woman or of the guilty hypocrites. It's Jesus himself who is on trial. That was the whole point of this, wasn't it? They brought him in, not really for justice, but for looking at a means by which they could accuse, him let's find a way to trap the teacher they were saying and the irony of course as we've seen is that Jesus does not he turns the table on them by showing that only perfection would fulfill the law and anything else puts us all in judgment under it and he offers forgiveness to the guilty woman and challenges her accusers to lay aside their stones and there's an interesting thing that I ask you just as we close our time together It's found in the answer to this question. Take a look at all the people in this story. Who is the only innocent person in this story? And what happens to him? Who is the only innocent person in this story? And what will happen to him? You know what will happen to him. Before very much time goes by, he will be unjustly condemned. Condemned. He will be abandoned by his friends. He will stand before a, 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 a government official. He will be condemned by the government. He will be condemned by the religious system. He will be condemned by virtually everyone. And yet he will say ultimately, Father, forgive them. Even though Jesus is the only guilty, guiltless person in this event, he will lay down his life. The innocent for the guilty. The guileless for the hypocrite. He will take the penalty the woman deserved for her adultery. And he will be condemned by those who so thoughtlessly condemned others. Why, just a little bit later than this, in John chapter 11, the religious leader of the people named Caiaphas has said these words in verse 50, it is better for you that one man should die for the people than that the whole nation should perish. And it, John's comment on it says he did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, but not only for the nation, but also to all who are gathered unto the children of God, the ones who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they began to plan his death. Yes, the story ends not just with the woman going free, but ultimately with Jesus dying the death of the sinful woman, the death of the religious hypocrite. We are, Jesus died so that we could be set free. Yes. So I want to encourage you to see this story. Think about the three trials. Think about the woman and be grateful to know that no matter what you've done, forgiveness is yours. And think about the religious people who have been trying so hard, running on that treadmill, going nowhere. The faster you go, the faster it goes. You can never get there on your own. Get off the treadmill and receive Jesus'. Uh, forgiveness. Don't be like inspector, like Inspector Javert, who was so committed to his worldview that he could never let go of his pride. be instead like Jean Valjean, who, when forgiveness was offered to him and grace, he embraced it, and then his life was changed, and his life became a blessing to others, and ultimately he was able to offer grace, even to Inspector. Javier, let's have prayer as we close. Lord Jesus, we're grateful and thankful that you break through all of our sinful behaviors and you offer to us forgiveness. And that you also break through all of our prideful attitudes and you say to us, Let it go, let it go. A relationship with God is not a reward you achieve. It's a gift you receive. It comes to you freely because of my grace, just like the forgiveness offered to Valjean that day by the bishop as a representative of Jesus. But we also remember that while it is free to us, it was very costly to you. For just as the bishop had to let his family silver, his prized possession, go to offer grace that day, so you had to give your whole life for us. You died for us under the weight of human sin and pride. And under the weight of that, achieved our forgiveness. Help us to receive it. And as we take the Lord's table today, may we do it with deep gratitude.